Welcome, everybody, to the Beards and Bible Podcast, but it kind of seems weird saying Beards and Bible Podcast because it's, it's just me, the Beard and Bible Podcast, or Bibles. got a couple of translations on my desk, so I guess Bibles works, too. Hope you're having a lovely day, wherever it is you are listening to this. Uh, it's just me today because uh, I'm sharing a bit of a personal story today with you guys. Hopefully you've seen and perhaps listened to our first episode for our Deconstructing Deconstruction series, and we're going to be doing about four episodes of that. So if you hadn't, if you want to go back and watch or listen to the first episode, we really dive into what is deconstruction, why is it trending right now, Um, maybe some noteworthy examples of that that maybe you've seen or maybe you've heard of or maybe you've watched. And um, I thought today I would give kind of a backstory as to why this topic is something that I am deeply interested in and and concerned about, honestly. Um, and as Gabe and I were talking through it, it kind of seemed like uh, there was just too much of a backstory that I have personally to put that on one of our episodes that we're doing together as a podcast team. And so um, we figured a kind of a mini episode of, of me just kind of sharing my story with deconstruction um, would be appropriate. Um, and hopefully it would uh, resonate with some of you guys. And so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to share with you a bit of my story of how I started down this journey of deconstruction and uh, where that led me and um, kind of where I'm at today with that. So um, I think most of you know me, if you're a regular podcast listener to our podcast, you you may know, you may not know this about me. I pastor a church just outside of the Nashville, Tennessee area, specifically a little town called Woodbury, Tennessee, the greater metropolitan Cannon County area. Um, I say that in jest because we're about all the 14,000 people. So small little town. Um, I have been working in ministry for about 10 years full-time. I did it for about three years before that bivocationally. Um, but if you'd have told me 15 years ago that I would be where I'm at right now, serving in full-time ministry, working for a church, I would have laughed at you because um, this point in my life, 15 years ago, working for a church, pastoring a church, that was like the last thing on my radar. And and I'll tell you why. Um, In my early 20s, right after college, I kind of had the convergence of five things that happened to me all at once. Um, The first is I had a really, really horrible breakup with a girl that I thought I was going to marry and uh, possibly someday go in the mission field with. We talked about that. Her parents were connected with a missions agency that I had um, spent some time around that missions agency. I, I did an internship with that missions agency and had really fallen in love with, um, you know, the possibility of someday serving in missions. And then, uh, when that ended in a pretty dramatic and painful fashion in my life, um, what with, with it was not just the dreams of marrying this girl and starting a life with her, but what also went with it was all the dreams I had of, um, working in any sort of ministry, related to the idea of missions. And so that was really, really painful and really difficult uh, to process as a young guy in my early 20s. Um, Another thing that happened right around that time is my home church, the church I'd grown up in, 
um, was kind of going through a church split and falling apart. And, uh, and that was hard because this was the church that I had um, really gotten discipled in. I had done an internship there under a guy that I still consider to this day, one of my mentors and a spiritual dad for me. And so um, in my early twenties, watching this church just go through a very, very difficult season of, um, you know, people leaving and people getting offended and, and just a lot of drama and, and uh, man, it, it, it felt like my family was getting ripped apart. Uh, but on top of that, on top of this horrible breakup and on top of my home church falling apart, my parents' marriage was also falling apart. And so not only was I seeing kind of this spiritual family that I had had get ripped apart, I was also seeing my physical family kind of get ripped apart in the midst of that. Um, something else I had seen in my early 20s was um, I had seen a lot of just church BS. I don't know any other word for it, but I had um, gone to a Christian college. That's actually where Gabe and I met. And um, I saw a lot of really, really illogical and unbiblical theology that just didn't make sense to me. Um, There were some stances that this particular denomination in college had that um, I would ask for clarity. I would have questions. I would have doubts about it. And it always was met with um, kind of a dead end. Like there weren't safe spaces for me to ask questions. And that was really confusing to me because it felt like I had seen um, all of this extra biblical stuff get tied together with the main and plain truths of scripture. And so all of that kind of felt tangled together. And I didn't really know what was the clear truth of the word of God and what was just the traditions of people and what was church. And so that was really, really confusing. And then to top all of that up, um, the very top of all of that, I had an uncontrollable and unchecked pornography and sexual addiction um, that I just didn't feel like I could ever break free from. I felt like I lived under this unending weight of unbelievable guilt and condemnation. And um, in that season of my life, man, it felt like everything I thought I had known and how I hoped and I expected my life would go got completely flipped upside down. Um, I didn't know who to trust. Um, I really didn't know what was God and what was people in terms of some of the stuff I'd been taught or some of the stuff I felt like I had been indoctrinated with. Um, some of you guys might know this about my story because I've shared it before on the podcast and we talked about spiritual abuse. Um, I grew up being homeschooled and I'm grateful for that, but I also grew up in what has now become known as kind of a homeschool cult. My family was involved in an organization called ATI or IDLP is another name for it. Um, the guy's name that ran it is a guy by the name of Bill Gothard. And uh, if you're familiar with uh, the Duggard family, 19 kids and counting, they were in that group. And my family was in that group for about seven years. And so I had grown up in that with a lot of extra biblical teaching on things like music and how you're supposed to dress and how 
um, dating was supposed to go in your life. Like dating was a big no, no. It was all like courtship, almost like arranged marriages. And that's how you're supposed to do, um, your romantic relationships. And so the older I got, the more I realized that like, Hey, that's, that's actually not how most Christians feel about these concepts. And so it was really hard to know, like, what was the truth of the word of God? What was what I'd been taught? All of it felt just tangled up in my head, tangled up in my heart. And then on top of that, man, I just felt guilty all of the time because this like this pornography addiction was like a real thing for me Um, in the sense that like that dominated the landscape of my entire spiritual life. Every time I'd go to church, I just felt like I just just felt so much shame. Um, I felt like I could never get it right. I felt like God was continuously disappointed in me. And so then I I kind of made this shift in my head. I was like, man, I feel guilty all the time because of this big issue that I don't feel like I can get any healing from or deliverance from. And so the shift in my head was I started to get really suspicious of that guilt. Like how much of that guilt was there because I had actually done something wrong and how much of that guilt was there because of religious legalisms. And so in the midst of all of that mess, that was me in my early twenties with all the heartache and all of the um, confusion, all the challenges and all that stuff. It, it seemed like right in the middle of that, there was a group of people, um, writers, authors, thinkers that just kind of seemed to get it. Like they understood the place that I was in. They understood what it was like to grow up in a church or Christian movement where you didn't know that you were only seeing a small little part of Christianity. You thought that that was the whole thing. And then you grew up and you saw, man, I didn't get told the whole story. And so they kind of understood this angst and this confusion and this hurt. And so the guidance from this group of people these authors, these writers, these thinkers was to simply start questioning everything I believed about God, about the Bible and about the Christian life. And their answer was to simply pull it all apart, to deconstruct it until I had it stripped down to what I had once believed was true simply because it's what I'd been taught. And that's why I believed it. And then what it was, I actually believed. So when I say a a group of writers and thinkers, a lot of them I never met personally. I'm talking about writers like Rob Bell in his book, Velvet Elvis. Somebody gave me that book in my early 20s. And I read that book cover to cover and it was really influential. Um, Brian McLaren is another writer that I was introduced to around that time. A guy by the name of Shane Claiborne um, was another guy that, that kind of helped I think fuel that sense of of angst in me. Not to say that everything that these guys have written is all bad, but there was something in me that um, it was like one of these guys would lead me to another one of these guys who lead me to one, another one of these guys. And um, I had a lot of friends who were like me in kind of the arts and the music scene. Um, Gabe and I were in a band together, and then I was in a band before that. And a lot of us that played music and a lot of us that were kind of in that scene, we really didn't fit the mold for what a Christian kid was supposed to look like or dress like or think like. And so 
that season in our lives, it kind of seemed like we were all going through the same thing. And so we had a lot of conversations about it, a lot of angst that we all felt, a lot of frustration and anger that we felt towards kind of this big anonymous entity called the American church that we all were so frustrated with. Um, so right around that time, um, I discovered alcohol. And one of the things I discovered is that a lot of the insecurities, a lot of the angst, and a lot of the pain that I carried with me normally would disappear when I drank. So when I would go to a party and I would be around a lot of people, there were these insecurities I carried because of the fact that I had grown up as a homeschool kid. I had grown up in a very sheltered environment. I had parts of my story I wasn't comfortable speaking out loud. And so that led to a lot of insecurity where I didn't really like myself. Um, I felt a lot of shame over that relationship with that uh, the girl ending. Uh, just a lot of shame because I thought, man, something's wrong with me. Um, but when I drank alcohol, man, all that disappeared. It was like I was wearing just like this, this mask, this invisibility cloak, if you will. And so um, my nights and weekends got filled up with a lot of parties, with a lot of alcohol, with lots of conversations that were fueled by alcohol um, for people who were just like me, who were full of just as much angst and just as much frustration with the faith that they grew up in. And um, around that time, I, I got an invitation to work for a camp. Um, so I was a, I was a middle school teacher around that time and uh, I had my summers off. And so I got an invitation to work at a camp um, over the summer that was run by a progressive uh, Christian denomination. So this was a very liberal, affirming, progressive Christian denomination. And um, I went to that camp and met a lot of people who claimed a Christian faith that um, basically gave them license to live however they wanted. And I saw that they had freedom that I didn't have. In the sense, we were both doing the same thing. We were both going out and drinking and partying and, and hooking up and all that stuff. But the only difference was I felt a tremendous amount of guilt for what I was doing, and they didn't. Because they had this understanding of God and this understanding of spirituality that um, basically affirmed them and their life choices. And that was like a big word that I had never heard before of what, what it meant to be an affirming Christian um, an affirming church and affirming denomination. And so that experience of kind of being in that camp um, started really changing me. And, and so I, I just decided that I was going to, to live and enjoy my life doing whatever it is I wanted and any guilt or condemnation that I felt, I just chalked up to old hangups from legalism. And it was just that. It was nothing more. It was nothing less. If I felt guilty for something I'd done, it wasn't because I had necessarily done something wrong. It's because I had legalism in my past that made me feel guilty. And so for about two years, this is how I lived my life. And in that two-year span, I had basically adopted a faith that gave me a moral license 
to live however I wanted. And not only that, it also gave me a lot of street cred. Like I could go hang out and do all the same things that people who didn't know Jesus or didn't claim to have any relationship with Jesus had. And then somewhere in an alcohol fueled conversation, the topic of faith would come up and I'd start, Oh yeah, man, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And they're like, man, you're the first Christian I've ever met. That's cool. Or you're the first Christian I've ever met that doesn't judge people. And, and that was like a big point of pride for me that I could, um, have a form of a faith that was socially acceptable by people who weren't in the faith. Um, but interestingly, during these two years, I, I never stopped going to church. Um, <laughs> I was so ingrained from a uh, early age that on Sunday mornings, my butt needed to be in church. And um, even when like my whole family stopped going to church, I still went to church. Um, so I never stopped going to church. I just more or less would kind of just attend on Sundays. I would sit on the sidelines and I would critique and criticize almost everything I saw. And, um, you know, I really like the social aspect of it. I really like meeting people who, um, were kind of like-minded. Um, but anytime people would press in and ask me like, Hey, why, why aren't you getting discipled? Why aren't you engaging? Why aren't you serving? Um, the excuse I always threw out was, well, I've been hurt by church and I'm just not ready. And that was kind of a badge of honor for me that I wore very proudly. And so for about two years, man, this was my life. This was the lifestyle I lived. And um, at first it felt very liberating. It felt very freeing. It felt very empowering to have a new form of spirituality and Christianity that um, got me a lot of street cred from non-believers that led to me feeling like I could do anything I want. But over time, what started happening was um, I started feeling like this tremendous sense of futility. Like, man, what's the point in all this? I started feeling this tremendous sense of just distrust for everything and everyone. But on top of all of that, I think the feeling that just dominated the landscape of my soul was just this feeling of, aimlessness. I'm going to take a sip of water. And so the aimlessness was also met with just this constant feeling of angst, anger, frustration. Like I was mad all of the time at the existing structures that were church. Even if I didn't know what made me mad about them? I was just mad at them. Um, but I had absolutely no answer for how to improve them. I had no answer with how to replace them with something better. Um, the only answer I had is just to be mad and sit on the sideline and not participate. But the most helpless feeling of all of that is I had absolutely no answers for how to deal with my vices. Other than I'm just not going to beat myself up about it and I'm going to try to find people who affirm me and don't judge me. And so what started happening is my vices got more and more out of control. Um, My addiction to pornography went completely unchecked. And I, I was a slave to that. 
I didn't have control over it. It had control over me. Um, on a nightly basis, it was something I, I had to do. I felt like I could not sleep until I watched pornography. And it was something that was controlling me. Um, my addiction to alcohol just ran the show in my life. I found that I was not comfortable in my own skin unless I was drinking. I wasn't comfortable around people unless I was drinking. <clears throat> I had to have a drink in my hand to be able to have fun, to be able to relax, to be able to feel comfortable, to be able to be at peace. And I became more and more reliant on this substance. And the more I deconstructed, the less I saw of this thing called transcendence or truth or meaning, it was like the deeper I dug into this hole of deconstruction, the only thing I had left was this big giant mirror that was staring right back at me. Um, that it was me. That I was the answer. I was the problem. I was the one affirming my own decisions. I was the one scolding me in my missteps. Um, I didn't see more of God as I deconstructed my faith. I just saw more of me. And the more of me I saw, the more meaningless everything seemed. Life just seemed super meaningless because it seemed like the deeper I went down this journey of pulling everything apart, there was no way to know or even accept that there was such a thing as absolute truth. Um, I'm a big reader, and I remember getting a hold of the works of a novelist by the name of Douglas Copeland. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Douglas Copeland, um, he coined the term Generation X. Um, he wrote a book called Generation X, and somebody gave me a book of his called Life After God. And I remember reading this book, and it it was basically like, how do you find meaning when you have stripped your life of this concept of God? And um, then that led me down this deep, deep depression. Um, I also really enjoyed reading Jack Kerouac. I liked the the work of the beat poets. And um, I used to read the book On the Road all the time. And that was kind of my own personal philosophy of liberation, of just travel and experience and, you know, intoxication and music. And that was like, you know, this transcendence that I was searching for. But there's this book on the road that I was reading. And there was one part of the book that always just really disturbed me. And there's a scene in the book when the protagonist talks about getting old and, and like eventually your life of having a good time and trying to find meaning in having a good time, it's going to wear out. And it was like that part of the book would haunt me over and over and over again. Cause man, all this freedom, all this liberation, all that stuff sounded great in my early twenties, but it was like, I knew that there was coming a point where like it just, it was going to seem meaningless because I was going to grow old. And if I didn't have a foundation of truth or any standard for what was truth or what was absolute, I didn't know where I was going to be. So in the summer of 2009, I hit a point in my life where my vices took over and I had no control. Um, my drinking and my sexual addiction was out of control. I didn't know how to stop. And the more I surrounded myself with 
affirming people. And the more I tried to create an understanding of a reality and a spirituality that didn't condemn me, um, the worse it got and the more powerless I became over those vices. And in the summer of 2009, I hit a low point where I absolutely hated myself. I hated the kind of life I was living. I hated the person I had become. I hated the excuses and justifications that I was feeding myself. Um, After two years of living in them, they all just seemed so empty and pointless. And none of the answers I was getting from the people around me were sufficient. Basically, the answers I got from people who were already further into deconstruction than I was, or they were deconstructing alongside with me was, well, what do you think is truth? What do you want truth to be? Or what can you accept as truth? And it was, okay, we'll just do that. (laughs) But there was only one problem. It was like, I, I couldn't. Like, I didn't have the power in me to change the person that I was that I hated. Um, besides that, there were no clear-cut definitions of what was right, what was wrong, what was incorrect, what was correct, what was false, what was true, what was righteous, what was sinful. Like, the only thing we agreed upon that was wrong was the way we were brought up in traditional evangelicalism. And beyond that, it was open season. And it was all dependent on what we wanted it to be and if that thing we wanted it to be worked for us. Uh, None of it was dependent on whether or not it was actually true and corresponded to reality. So the deeper I went into this process, it became painfully obvious to me that this emperor had no clothes. Like at first, it sounded really smart, really sophisticated, really enlightened, really progressive, really liberating. But that was just a really slick way of disguising what was really going on in my heart. And what was really going on in my heart was that I had been hurt. I had been misled and I'd been confused by religious legalism. What was really going on in my heart is that I hadn't been adequately discipled and taught the gospel of grace. I had been taught cheap distortions of the gospel, but I didn't really know what the gospel was about. So what I was rejecting initially wasn't Christianity or the God of the Bible. What I was rejecting initially were all the entanglements of the stuff that we made up. But the deeper I got into that world, the more I started using this newfound deconstruction as a tool for moral licensing in my spiritual anarchy. Like simply put, I I just didn't want to believe in a God that would ever tell me no. And and I didn't want to practice my Christianity in a way that would get me labeled as uncool by the world. I, I wanted to be accepted. I wanted street cred. I didn't want to feel guilty. I didn't want to learn how to master my vices. And so I got seduced into tearing down what I'd always known 
and seduced into reimagining and reinventing my faith into something quite different. But in late summer of 2009, I came to a point where I realized just how absurd and meaningless this journey of deconstruction had been for me. Um, yeah, I, I, I had stripped away the baggage and the shrapnel from my upbringing in American evangelicalism, but um, to what end? What was left? Was it a rational and logical faith that actually provided any answers to the real problems I was dealing with? Was it a faith that gave me any logical answers to the big questions of life? No. It didn't give me any answers at all. It just gave me more uncertainty and more questions. And actually, it wasn't much of a faith at all. Uh, Faith in anything other than uncertainty, angst, or cynicism was seen as some form of blind trust in an oppressive system. And so this, this really flimsy belief system got exposed for what it actually was. And the reason it got exposed is because I started implementing it into my life. And as I implemented it into my life, the fruit of it wasn't good. And when I started to see the fruit of it, all of the really spiritual sounding and all of the really liberating and all of the really enlightened terms, um, they just got unmasked for what they were. Like, we used to use the term embracing the mystery. I can't remember where I read that. I read that in some book or heard it in some teaching. And so embracing mystery was like my, my go-to phrase when I talk about, um, you know, I just don't know. And so I'm just, I'm just, man, I'm just on this journey of embracing the mystery. Um, but that got unmasked. And all that was, was, was just uncertainty and agnosticism. Like an unwillingness to actually put faith in something was just called embracing mystery. Uh, this whole thing of like, I'm I'm just an affirming person or we're an affirming church or, you know, this is an affirming group or man, we're just people of grace. Uh, once you try that on for size and you start using that, over time that gets unmasked of what you're really doing is you're just enabling someone to destroy themselves. So yeah, you're affirming them, but you, you're affirming them in their destructive choices. Um. We used to use the, the phrase, man, I just have righteous anger. I'm, I'm just someone who wants to pursue social justice. And man, that sounded so virtuous and so upright and so good for so long. But you try that on for size and you're around people enough that, that use that phrase. And over time, man, that gets unmasked. And all that is, is just cynicism. All that has is just angst. All that is is just this really unproductive, immature, youthful anger uh, with a lot of complaining and a lot of rage, but ultimately no solutions, no helpful or constructive change. And so I found that it was simply just empty, hollow nothingness. And for many of the friends that I had who were also embracing this path of deconstruction, it, it was simply the last stop out on their way to agnosticism or atheism. So we said this in the first episode, not everyone who deconstructs deconverts, 
but everyone who deconverts probably deconstructed first. And that was certainly my experience that almost everybody I knew that deconstructed, they deconstructed to a form of progressive Christianity they held on to for a couple of years and then they eventually deconverted and then went on their way to agnosticism, atheism, universalism, whatever else. And that was the trajectory I was on. But in the fall of 2009, something happened for me that changed my life. I was living abroad in Seoul, South Korea. I was teaching English as a second language. Um, I've kind of been in this process for about two years of sort of deconstructing my faith, but um, that had kind of come to an end because I was searching for answers. And so one Saturday night, I was in my apartment in the city of Seoul, and um, I decided I wanted to find a church somewhere near me to add an English service that I could attend the following morning. So I hopped on Google and just started looking. It, it didn't matter the church, just any church would do. I just, I, I wanted to be in church. I just, I wanted answers. And so the next day I, uh, I had my Bible and I put my Bible in my backpack and started trying to find this church. Um, I was not too adept at navigating my way around the city. I just moved to this big city. Seoul is a metropolitan area of about 28 million people. It's massive. And so I was trying to find my way to this church and I got lost. Um, I can't remember it was, I, I had a hard time navigating the bus route or the subway stop, but at any rate, I got lost and, uh, I was running too late to make it to church. So here I am in the middle of this big city and, uh, I'm lost. I'm not going to make it to this church before the service starts. And so I was in a park there somewhere in the city of Seoul. I found a park bench and I sat down on the park bench and um, I decided that I was going to sit on this park bench and I was just going to open the Bible and I was going to start reading the Bible. <clears throat> and that was going to be my church because I couldn't find this church and I wanted answers. But that day I decided I was going to read the Bible very differently and very intentionally in two ways. Uh, the first way I was going to read my Bible that morning that was different is I was going to read it without trying to import any previous knowledge to it. Um, in other words, I was just going to let the Bible speak for itself. I wasn't going to let my religious background, my church background, um, my deconstructionist background. Um, I wasn't going to let Rob Bell or, or Ryan McLaren or any of these other guys fill in the gaps. I was just going to open the Bible. I was just going to read it and I was going to let it speak for itself. And I was going to let the Bible fill in the gaps. <clears throat> and then the second way I was going to read the Bible differently that morning is I was going to read the Bible as if it were true, as if it could be trusted. And as if, if I actually did what it said, it would lead me and it would direct me to truth. And so I sat down on that park bench in the middle of the city of Seoul, South Korea, and I read my Bible for at least an hour. And I didn't feel anything dramatic happen in the moment, um, but something definitely changed in me. Uh, because all along I'd been searching for truth and I wanted to know truth. I, I sincerely and genuinely and earnestly wanted truth and wanted answers 
But deconstruction didn't give me that truth. It gave me cynicism, angst, and emptiness. But when I opened the Bible and just let it speak, I found that truth. I found the answers I had been looking for. And I didn't find those answers in religion. I didn't find those answers in church. I found those answers in the Word of God. And so um, if you've heard my testimony, you, you probably know the very next weekend I actually found that church in Seoul I've been trying to find. I started attending it. And God absolutely wrecked me there. That was the beginning of a personal revival in my life where I was reshaped and reformed and remade by the power of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> by the community of faith, the body of Christ, the community of believers, and and by the truth of God's word. And so I came back to the States that next year in 2010 with that same fire in my belly and this hunger for truth. And that led me into the doors of a small little church plant called the Experience Community. That was a group of believers that just opened the Bible and would read it line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and just wanted to do what it said. And uh, that was 13 years ago. And so now I pastor an Experience Community Church, and I can testify to the power of God's Word and His truth in my own life. You know, it was G.K. Chesterton that once famously said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And I think there's a lot he was saying with that quote, but what I think he might have meant in one way was that many times what we reject is not necessarily the Christian ideal. What we reject is not necessarily the Christian faith. What we reject is the difficulties, the pains, the baggage that we accumulate that go along with this practice of the Christian faith. And I think so often that's what gets rejected and pushed off. And I know that certainly was the case in my story. But unfortunately, for some of us, we're told that our rejection of some of the baggage that comes with church hurt or doctrinal confusion or cultural complexities, that, that isn't enough that what we need is to reject the very Christian ideal itself. But I would submit to you that the Christian ideal is something that if you truly examine the Christian faith, you explore the Christian faith, and then you implement the Christian ideal into your life by putting faith in Jesus Christ as he is presented in the Bible, that that faith isn't left wanting for anything. I found in my life that that faith has the answer to every question that my soul has ever longed for and searched for and looked for. And so take it from a guy who went down the deconstruction path. Um, there isn't anything there for you in that. And so like, maybe you're mad like I was, maybe you're hurt, maybe you're bitter, maybe you're angry or confused, like, could it be that the problem isn't with the teachings of Christianity or Jesus? Um, could it be that maybe it's with how those teachings were practiced and implemented? 
So it might not be that you need to throw them out altogether or revise them to be something completely and and totally different. Um, Maybe you need to find a group of believers that are committed to following them more faithfully. Or maybe in your life, you need to commit yourself to following them more faithfully. So like, listen, you, you may be currently in this process of deconstructing. And if you're there, man, I've been there. Um, I don't claim to know your reasons for why you're there because we all have a story and all of us have explanations for how we got to the place that we are now. So I don't claim to know your reasons, but um, I would just ask you to listen very, very carefully. Don't be sure to assume that you know your reasons for deconstructing either. Maybe you're deconstructing not because you're actually looking for truth. But maybe you're deconstructing because you've been hurt and you want a way out of the hurt through finding an excuse to not participate in this thing called church or the Christian faith anymore. Uh, Maybe the reason you're deconstructing is because you've been taught things about Christianity and Jesus that aren't actually in the Bible. But you don't know the difference between biblical truth and the traditions of man. And they're all kind of entangled in your mind and in your life. and, And you don't know which is which. That maybe you're deconstructing because uh, you don't want the world to not accept you. You don't want the world to call you closed-minded. You don't want the world to call you unintelligent. You don't want the world to call you bigoted for believing some of the claims of Scripture. Like it's really hard for you to have someone reject you if you said that you believe what the Bible teaches about sexuality or the exclusivity of Christ. And maybe deep down, if you're being honest with yourself, that's part of the reason why you're deconstructing. That you're not okay with being rejected by the court of popular opinion. Or maybe you're deconstructing because there's something in your life that the Bible says is sin. Or there's someone in your life that you love a lot and they're living in such a way that the Bible says that what they're doing is sin. But admitting that this is a sin means you'll have to give up that thing or you'll have to recognize that this friend or this loved one that you care a lot about is living in sin. And so what you're looking for is a Jesus or or a practice of your faith that will never tell you no and will just affirm every choice you make. Because deep down, you love that thing that the Bible says is sin. And so whatever your reason for going down that path may be, I would just implore you, like, would you just take some time maybe to be honest with yourself? And maybe to lean in a little bit more? Uh, If there is a God, and and there is, (laughs) he created you, he made you, God loves you. And he wants to reveal himself to you. He's not some weird, ethereal, vague spirit that can never be understood. He's not some life force that shifts and changes based on what it is that you want to believe about him or what I want to believe about him. And, and your version of him is the same as my version of him, except they're different. And who am I to tell you that your version's wrong? And who are you to tell me that my version is wrong? That's not 
that's not any faith at all in anything. That's that's nothingness. Like there is a God. He loves you. He knows you. And he's holy. That means he is not like you. And man, if if he is just like you, if he always agrees with everything that you think, then that's not much of a God at all. That's not a God who's worthy to be worshipped. But I praise God that the God of the Bible is holy. And he's eternal. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I earnestly believe if you seek his truth, and you're honestly looking for that truth, he's going to lead you to him. But you have to ask yourself the question, do I really want truth? Or do I just want a version of Christianity that I can control and that I can mold to fit my own preferences and desires? Man, I'm so excited about this series that we're doing about deconstruction. And um, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that there's probably some of you watching that are either on this journey or maybe you've completed your journey of deconstruction and your understanding of the Christian faith um, now doesn't look anything like what it used to look like before you started your journey. And so I just want you to know I'm praying for you because I believe there's a God in heaven that knows you and loves you and he wants you to know him. And I believe his Holy Spirit is able to reach out and soften your heart and lead you to himself and lead you to truth. And so, um, man, thank you so much for listening to this. Thank you so much for watching this, if you're watching on YouTube. And uh, if you have any questions or comments or anything like that, uh, send us an email, beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment in the YouTube channel. And uh, we will be back next week with another episode on our Deconstructing Deconstruction series. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.